Hello, I'm Mark Treichel, and you are listening to With Flying Colors, the podcast where I interview subject matter experts to provide credit union leaders with tips on how you can achieve success with NCUA and pass your exam with flying colors. Today, I'm joined by Todd Miller, formerly of NCUA, to talk about NCUA's focus on net economic value, or NEV. Todd, before we jump in, for folks who are listening the first time today, could you share a little bit about who you are and your career and your experience at NCUA? Yes, I'm Todd Miller. I'm a retired NCUA employee. I started with them in 1987 and retired 34 years later in 2021. During that time, I was an examiner, a problem case officer, a regional capital market specialist, director of special actions. The last 20 years of my career, I spent 10 years of it as a regional capital market specialist from 2000 to 2010, and then 10, 11 years as a director of special actions. The NEV and what we're going to talk about today is kind of near and dear to me. I was one of many people who contributed to NCUA's exam procedures and examiner training during my time as a capital market specialist. Very good, Todd. And so one of the things when a credit union approaches me about how I might be able to help with a situation that they're having relative to their exam, one of the things I explained to them is that I held a lot of positions, but I also, I moved across the country and worked with a lot of different people. One of those people was you. And what I say in my conversations about what my team and I can do is I say, I know who NCUA's best and brightest are so that when they retire, I approach them and see, now that you're retired, do you want to be 100% retired? Would you like to keep, you keep making a little bit of money, having a little bit of fun, become part of my team and continue to help credit unions? You coming from a special actions background where credit unions sometimes have more challenging camel codes, they have more challenging problems. You get some situations where you can really kind of become a partner with the credit union. And now we have an opportunity to do it from the other side on the credit union side. And I've, I've, I've enjoyed these first seven months since you retired. I think maybe you took two months off, but it's been great having you as part of the team. And you're one of those best and brightest that I referred to when I talked to potential clients. So no need to respond to that. I just That's just my editorial comment. So let's jump into our discussion here. So Todd, the NCUA examiner's guide suggests that credit unions should use both income simulation and net economic value, our topic today, to measure interest rate risk. At the same time, it seems much of the exam focus and agency policy focuses primarily on net economic value. Do you have insight as to why, or could you explain why there's this big focus on NEV? Yeah, there's a lots of reasons to this, and, I, and I'll list a lot of these reasons out you know, from my perspective as how the agency progressed over time. I'm not going to put them in necessarily any specific order, but I'll give you a flavor for all of the various reasons that they do that. It's kind of interesting. Credians use models for a lot of things. From an ALM perspective, we use net economic value 
models. We use net income simulation models. A budget is a model. Try to use, use lots of forecasting. At the end of the day, it's kind of important to remember that models should inform your decision-making. They shouldn't help you determine a decision. It's experience, judgment, gathering up all the information you can and using it to the best of your ability that helps make a decision. But I think sometimes for the agency, they weight models maybe more than they should in terms of that whole decision-making process. And we forget that they should just be a platform to help inform our decision-making, not really dictate what we do. In terms of NEV models specifically, why does NCUA put so much emphasis on it? Well, there's a number of reasons for that. And if you go back in time, you'll see this emphasis actually started around 1999. Prior to that, you didn't see any of the models in credit unions very often. And, you know, what prompted that change? I think there's a number of things that prompted that change. Um, One, other regulators have used economic value models for a long time. And in the late 90s, in NCUA's capital markets, position, we started hiring people and experts that came to the agency from other regulators that have a background in those. So they kind of brought us along that curve. In August of 1999, NCUA issued a CU letter, 99CU12. It was on real estate lending and balance sheet risk management. It's really the first time the agency discussed the use of net economic value or economic value type models in a formal letter to a credit union. And then we've been, just as an agency, we've been kind of ramping it up and steadily going down that path more and more. In 2010, they issued the letter, the NCUA basically signed on on an interagency statement where there's an expectation that more complex credit unions are going to use MEV models. There's a number of reasons, I think, that the agency and the examiners focus on that NEV model, maybe more so than income simulation models or other models. In theory, an NEV model is just the present value. It gives you the present value of all your future cash flow. So another way to say it, it's the present value of your future net income. And it comes down to just one or two numbers. And I think examiners and end users at NCUA, they like the comfort of one or two numbers. It's easy to kind of distill that down and it's theoretically sound. Another reason I think the agency focuses on NEV is they can come up with ballpark estimates of what an NEV number is for all the credit unions just from call report data. It won't be as accurate as a credit union model, but they can do it across the whole industry And as a regulator, it makes them easy to compare results from credit union to credit union. And as an insurer, you like to be able to outline or identify those outliers. And it's easy to do that within an NAV framework. So it it makes the regulator's job easier and it helps inform their decision making in a very easy, simple way. Another reason I think you see this focus on NEV is it's easy to kind of integrate NEV into other risk models. So for instance, you can, as an examiner, we know we got this much capital at risk for interest rate risk from our NEV model. We can go look at the credit union's credit risk models and say, this is what they expect to lose. So here's capital at risk for credit risk. And they can combine that with other things. So it's easy to integrate NEV measures with other risk models. And 
kind of another aspect of it. It's a pretty easy concept to explain to examiners. Yes, within an NEV model, there's sometimes thousands of assumptions, but the basic concept of present valuing cash flows, it's an easy thing to teach to examiners. In the big scheme of things, NCOA has done a lot of studies on credit unions models. And before they came out with their last exam procedures in 2016, they actually did surveys of model results across, it's around a couple thousand credit unions. And one thing that the agency found is on the asset side of the balance sheet, credit unions measure that price risk very consistently. So the models are fairly accurate and consistent across the industry. And it's helpful to examiners to have that consistency. It gives them comfort in using those NEV numbers when it's consistent across the whole number of credits. It helps inform NCUA's decision-making in a very easy, simple way. And so I think those are just some of the reasons why NCUA has kind of moved to that NEV as their primary emphasis. Got it. Got it. So I get the ability to do a calculation from the 5,300, although that isn't as, as nuanced as what the credit union does. And because they can do that, it provides some context about where risk may or may not be so that they can kind of target where they want to do some contacts. The ability to, to pull it down from those call reports gives them a good first starting point. One of the NCUA board members used to have a phrase called rough justice. And so that's a kind of a rough justice approach. It's a starting point. And so when credit unions, what you're saying is NCUA looked at how credit unions did it via survey and the asset side was very similar. The liability not, I'm imagining maybe you've got some thoughts that you'll have either later in some of the questions that I'll ask you, but you, but you could speak to that. When someone's comparing uh, you know, what options are out there model-wise, maybe you could speak to that. Now. And if you've got that plan for comments, that's fine, but that's a, something that popped up to me. There's different vendors. Different vendors do things a little bit differently, although it sounds like they maybe do something, most things similarly on the asset side. That's my gut reaction to the to things you just said. Is there anything you want to add relative to anything I said before I ask my next question relative to NEV? Well, I'll just throw a quick thing out there on model vendors. It's a big decision for credit unions. Do they do their interest rate risk modeling in-house or do they choose a consultant? You know, going in-house is is certainly more expensive. Models are not cheap. Staff to operate them effectively is not cheap, but you also have way more control over the entire process and the scenario process and the internal control processes are much stronger if you bring it in-house. I think where the vast majority of the industry has fallen on, though, is they hire third-party vendors to perform a lot of this ALM modeling analysis. You have that expertise. It's a lot of data to crunch, and sometimes it's cheaper to hire a vendor than it is to bring that model in-house and pay employees to run it. But every credit union, they kind of have to do their own cost-benefit analysis to that. Do they want to bring it in-house and have that control? Do they have the expertise or is it one of these things where it's cheaper, more efficient, and timely to hire an external vendor and let them crunch numbers for you? Um, Either way, it's important that credit unions understand what's coming out of these models. So 
exactly you right. So, foreign decision making. So there is a certain amount of training for that credians have to go through either way just to understand what they're using. And to highlight what you just said, hire it out or don't hire it out. But if you do hire it out, have somebody internal who understands it, can have dialogues with the vendor and can then explain it to the rest of the team at the credit union, to the board of directors, et cetera. So hiring it out doesn't mean you don't have to understand it within the walls of the credit union. Very true. So I'm definitely not an ALM expert. But you know, I've been hearing a lot about non-maturity share values since I started working at the agency. I remember when they taught us ALM and back then they had five levels and the fifth level, they kept saying in levels one through four, we'll teach you about ALM in the fifth level. And they did, but that did not make me an expert. Todd, you are an expert with your capital markets background. You do have expertise in this. So it, it, it was an issue in liquidating credit unions long before I ever heard about NEV, how has the agency chosen to deal with this? I'm going to give you a little history because the agency's thoughts on this have evolved a great deal over time. You go back to when the agency first started focusing on NEV in 1999, early 2000s. Initially, they just avoided the issue, to be honest with you. A group of capital market specialists sat down. We came up with some scoping tools. Um, maybe some people in the audience will remember this. Maybe it was before the time of many of them. But they used to have the 17-4 test. We're just going to devalue your real estate loans, fixed rate real estate by 17% your variable rate real estate loans by 4%, see what that impact is on capital. And we called that a scope determinant. But at that time, NCUA published the policy and a lot of credit unions kind of used those metrics and it found their way into credit union policies. So that initial first step, we just kind of ignored the issue for a number of years. We talked about it, but we somewhat ignored it. In the early 2000s, NCUA, we commissioned a study. They spent a lot of money and hired an outside group to go look at how the entire financial industry valued non-maturity shares. And there's a lot of variation across the banks, credit unions, academic studies is how do you best do this as part of that academic study, that vendor they recommended some safe harbors for non-maturity share assumptions. NCUA never adopted them. Um, I do think some credit unions used them, though. I think credit unions that used those safe harbors from that study, the examiners never really criticized it. But it was never really NCUA policy. We never adopted the results of that study. We still continue to be uncomfortable with certain credit unions' non-maturity share assumptions. I remember going into credit unions where they would have non-maturity share premiums in the 25-30%. And when a real estate loan's volatility is only like 14-15%, it's really saying we can go make $2 of real estate loans for every dollar we have in non-maturity shares. And just on the surface, that's kind of a nonsensical result. Um, and when credit unions used premiums or assumptions that resulted in premiums like that, there was effectively no model measurement they would ever get that would say their risk was moderate or high. It just kind of distorted models 
um, pretty significantly. Now, no one really knows the right answer because the economics that, you know, like I said, we paid for a huge study. There's lots of different answers out there. You know, the FDIC keeps good data on banks that are sold. What kind of premiums do you get for deposits? And depending at different points in time, it's different numbers. It's different numbers in different economic cycles. So everyone knows a premium exists. No one knows what the answer is. And so, so the most... I'm, so the sorry for interrupting. The, the the higher the premium, the better your NEV. Yep, it makes your NEV look a lot better. So most recently in 2016, NCOA they issued kind of some new guidance as to what their examiners were going to do to determine scope. And just keep in mind, this is supposedly to determine scope. But as part of that process in 2016 and those changes, and this was shortly after they did a survey of a couple thousand models and and tracked those results and looked at them internally. They kind of made a decision that credit unions can model the asset sizes of their balance sheet fairly well. We'll accept those numbers. And then for the non-maturity share, NCUA is just going to put their own numbers in, which was a premium of only 1% base case and a 4% premium and an up 300 shock. And NCUA said this is primarily a scope determinant But they've also said, based on those results, if you get what they consider to be extreme levels of interest rate risk, they're going to ask credit union to reduce it. In their letters to credit unions, they say, hey, we don't really want you to put this in your policy. Don't use these. But the reality is when they've come out and said that we as an agency are going to do something if you're extreme risk at these numbers, well, credit unions should be cognizant of that. Yeah, and I do see many credit unions that they use their own internal numbers, but they'll put a second thing in policy is we're going to stay at NCUA's high or moderate risk level using their measures, but we're still going to use our own measures to inform decision-making and have our own internal policy limits as well. So essentially in 2016, NCUA said, hey, the world is not sure how to do this. They're not consistent on how to do this. This is the way we're going to do it for setting our exam scope and how we're going to make our decisions. And here's these thresholds that will represent high or extremely high risk. And at extremely high risk, we're going to ask a credit union to reduce risk levels. Now, I don't think very many credit unions hit that. And most of the ones that do are ones that are having capital issues anyway. So it doesn't impact a lot of credit unions, but it does on occasion. And what's another whole discussion? Did NCUA set those targets at the right level? I won't have that discussion today. I have my own opinions, but um, it is where it is. And like I said, it's all public. You can go back to 2016. NCUA at least has been transparent. And here's the exam workbooks we use to assess interest rate risk. Here's the tools we use. Here's the thresholds we use. Here's the questions our examiners are going to ask. They even issued a guide to that publicly for the credit unions. Credit unions can pull that guide down. It's fairly lengthy. But on the good side, in COA, they have been very transparent in how they're going to review interest rate risk and how they're going to assess levels of risk. That's interesting. It so, sounds like there, there's some words between the lines there. You and I can chat about that, maybe do a future podcast on it. So extremely high, high, moderate. If you're extremely high, we're going to do something. I mean, that could be if it's someone who's really capital challenged and some significant problems, you could be down. You could be a code three. Theoretically, you could be a code four. 
you could have most likely extremely high level. You're facing a document resolution of some sort, if not something potentially stronger. If someone's in the high category, might they still find some camel challenges? Might they still find some document resolutions? I think there's a potential for that. NCOA does go through a whole number of other things than while that NEV is the starting point, they do look at some governance and what the credit unions risk models are in the direction of trends. I do think if you get a high rating, you're potentially looking at a CAMEL 3. On the other side, if you've got some strong mitigating factors, like capital is good, the board has acknowledged that their level is high and they've got a plan to reduce it or at least not increase it farther. And they demonstrate that other areas of the credit union are operated well. There might be some tolerance for the upper edges of a high risk rating on the part of examiners. But yes, if you're high, you can expect some uncomfortable discussions around the issue. <laughs> uncomfortable. That's not a regulatory word, but I think everybody understands what's, what's, what that means. Okay, so earlier you said models should be used to inform decision makings, making. How can management and executives use NEV results to help make better decisions? Well, we touched on this a little bit before that, you know, when you ask about using vendors and, and third parties to generate model results, we had talked about, hey, the credit union is responsible for understanding this either way. And knowing the emphasis on NEV, I think it's important that your board gets some training on aspects of what those measurements mean. It doesn't need to be their first priority, but there should be some level of training for your board. And certainly the management team should. Um, first and foremost, I think it's important to remember that NEV, it's kind of a broad indicator of risk at a single point in time. I mean, you're measuring cash flows out 30 years. You're not going to be correct. I mean, and a lot of times you're getting a model results two months after that date and your balance sheet has already changed. But that said, it is a good broad indicator of risk at that point in time. So how do you use that to inform decision-making? Well, I think for a board, one of the most important things is, is you should be tracking how that result changes in time because it does give you a good indicator whether your institution is growing more risky are less risky. And that's probably as important as the number itself is how is it changing over time based upon how you're changing your balance sheet and your strategic directions. It is a good way to establish risk appetites or limits. So let's compare those numbers against your policy. Second, NEV models are really useful tools to establish risk limits. So you can create all kinds of scenarios. If a credit union, for instance, decides they're going to set their policy limit at, we'll accept a 50% volatility and net worth of, say, 6%. Well, go create scenarios and see what breaks that. And how far away is that from where you're at today? You know, what will break it? It's a good tool to go and run your balance sheet and strategic plan. Put it in your model and see how that changes your risk today. Like I said, it's important to look at trends analysis of this over time. Well, it's useful to go put your business plan in there and see how does that compare with today? Is our credit union going to get more risky, less risky? Are we, are we willing to accept that level of risk? I don't see credit unions using it this way a lot, but 
if you break down that NEV results at a line item level, it can give you a lot of information. You know, it turns the value of a single asset into a dollar value or a price, depending on how you do it. I always like to look at what I would call price reports because those help tell you and evaluate the effectiveness of your strategic results to date. If you've got assets that you know are way over par, it tells you they're they're very profitable. They're yielding us above market rates. By the same token, you get the same thing if the assets are way under par compared to other loan accounts. It's like, well, maybe we don't have these priced quite the way we do relative to market, and maybe we want to price things under market. But it gives you information on the past effectiveness of your pricing. And it's a good way to evaluate your strategic results up to that point in time. So they provide insight if you break them down into that line item level. Now, if I'm a CEO or a CFO, I'll be honest, I'm going to probably spend more time looking at my income simulation because that's given me a roadmap for that next 12 months down the road, 24 months down the road, six months down the road. It's easier to back test my income simulation. So I will spend more time on that if I'm a CFO. But just understand your examiners are going to spend a little more time looking at that NEV because it just gives them that broad long-term risk measure. So, Very so it's good. important. Yeah. It, well, and, and you're, you're passionate about the topic. You know a lot about it. And I know that Having again, you having been a capital market specialist and then being involved in policy development at, at different levels tied to this, and then supervising the capital market specialists on the West Coast for as many years as you did, you've seen a lot of models, whether they're internal or external. A lot of credit unions, as I understand it, do use models from an outside vendor. And I, I'm sure you've seen a lot of the work done by vendors. What, what advice? I'm a CEO of a credit union. I just took the job. I want to reevaluate the vendor I use for NEV, the contract's coming up, and I want to go out and pick one that's perfect for me. What advice would you have for me on how to best choose a vendor for NEV? I'm going to give you a couple pieces of advice along these lines or what I would do as if I was a CFO. And one thing to realize, there's kind of a ruler of sophistication out there. So there's vendors that have very basic models. They're very good for the audience that they're intended for. And there's a whole ruler of sophistication is, I guess, the way I would phrase it. And there's vendors all the way along the line from lower class, less sophisticated to very complex and very expensive. The big thing is, is find a vendor that's kind of somewhere where you're at on that ruler of sophistication, or maybe just a little bit ahead of you. You expect to grow and we expect to get here in a couple of years. So I would not necessarily pick the vendor for today, but pick the vendor for where I might want to be in two or three years down the road, because it's a lot of time and effort to switch vendors. So you want one you can grow with. And then from there, I would do a couple things. One thing I would pick out a group of peer credit unions kind of in that size complexity range and talk to them about who they use. Don't be scared to talk to a regional capital market specialist in your region and say, hey, what do other credit unions our size use? Just to give you a flavor of a starting point. And, you know, once you pick two or three possible starting points, get a client list and go talk to their clients. What do these guys do good? What do they do well? How well does our core data processing system 
provide information and meld with what they need to run the model. So it, it's a combination of peers. Do talk to your capital market specialists. They can give you insight what your peers are using. And then at the end of the day, do your homework as to where that vendor is on the ruler of sophistication, clients. And like I said, if I'm switching vendors today, I don't really want someone that helps me today. I want someone that I can grow with and is going to be on that ruler of sophistication two or three years from now. So I'm not going through this exercise continuously in another two or three years. I would like to stay with this vendor for a period of time. Makes perfect sense, Todd. I wrote down ruler of sophistication. I like quotes and I'm, I'm going to add that to my quote list. I love it. So Todd, this was great. I want to thank you for being my guest today. For the listeners, there may be some follow-up questions that something Todd said or that I may have said that you wanted some clarification on, or it triggered a thought of a next step question. And one of the things I want to do with this podcast is allow you to have the opportunity to submit follow-up questions. So if you have a follow-up question related to something Todd or I said, I'll give you in a moment where you can reach me, but I would love to hear from you. Also, if you have some advice or some ideas on uh, future podcasts, you could also uh, get me that information. Lastly, you can tell Todd is passionate about NEV and, and has a lot of skill sets tied to this. His skills go beyond that. I've got other team members that have other subject matter experts. And again, that I've had the 34 years at NCUA at every level. If you would like to talk to me about how, how I, Todd, or some of my other uh, specialists could assist you and your credit union, you can reach out to me at CU Exam Solutions at marktreichel.com. That's CU Exam Solutions at marktreichel.com or via my website at www.marktreichel.com. All right, that's it for another episode for today. And I'm Mark Treichel, and I hope you join me again next time for With Flying Colors.